up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of VGM Generations. I'm Mike Posbon, and with me, as always, is Aaron Blauchuk. Hi. And Jordan Belinsky. Yes. <laughs> and for those that don't know, VGM stands for Video Game Music, and we are taking you through the generations. Basically, once a week, three friends with very gaming backgrounds get together and take you through some of their favorite music from the games they love. Remember to stick around to the end of the episode for contest details, and normally we would announce a winner, but nobody won! So we're doubling up the prizes for this month. So, so you weren't you, lying when you said your odds of winning were one in one. Exactly. I'm never lying. People if you're listening to this right now, you can win 100%. Yeah, now you can win two games. So we're going to put in all the games from uh, last month and uh, combine them with the ones that we had this month for this month's contest. So you can win two games. Um, so and it's February. It's the month of love. <laughs> so we're talking about the franchises we love. Yeah, and, uh, this is the month of manufactured marketing love. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and these are manufactured marketing games. That's right. That we love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, especially in my case, because I am talking about the franchise Halo, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably one of the game. most marketed games of all time. And we'll get to that later in the month. I'm definitely going to bring that up later. But um, for right now, we're starting... Where else could we start but with Halo Combat Evolved, the first game? So, uh, and the track, also perfect, is the opening suite. So we're opening with the opening suite. Sweet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, obviously developed by Bungie and published by Microsoft Game Studios. Came out in 2001. And uh, composed by the infamous uh, Marty the Elder on Twitter, Marty O'Donnell. I think that's a great Twitter handle. I love his Twitter handle. <laughs> and uh, Michael Salvatore was his co-composer. Marty's given a lot of the credit, though, and I think um, uh, Michael helped him on the first game, but I think his, like, influence was less and less on the uh, on the games moving forward. And, like, everything you read, it's all it's all Marty, so mm -hmm. we can pretty much just say Marty O'Donnell, but anyway. Um, so, starting off with an interesting fact, I did not know, but this game was originally announced, Halo was originally announced at the Macworld Conference and Expo in 1999 by Steve Jobs. And he was saying, this is a great new game. It's coming out, and it's going to be on uh, Mac and PC at the same time. And uh, Bungie had actually done some development on Mac uh, previously, like when they were starting out, because they saw it as an opportune market because there weren't as many games on it, and they thought the competition would be less. So it would be an easier way to sell their games. They thought, like, well, if we make a really good game on Mac, everyone's going to buy it because the, there's back in the day <laughs> we'll in 1999. Be the best, even if we're not that good. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, Steve Jobs came out and announced it. And um, at that time, the game had uh, was actually pretty much an RTS game. It was kind of a top-down RTS uh, similar. I think they described it something like Mist. Uh, mm. But no, that's as weird, an RTS, Mist is in an RTS. I know, but that's like that sort, like a sci-fi Mist RTS was right. the, basically how they were selling it. Huh. And um, how long before the release did they make this announcement? Did they like change the whole game at the last minute? Or? Well, well, so this is 1999, so and it came out in 2001. So then at E3 2000, uh, the first trailer for Halo was shown, and drastically different game than was described. It was a third-person action game. Was the uh, Master Chef in that very early incarnation? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah. Or as my wife calls him, Master Commander. Master Commander. <laughs> uh, the only Master Chief uh, joke I have is that uh, my girlfriend's dog is named Rosie, but when they went to take him to like get him registered and get his tags, the uh, 
her and her brother insisted that his name or her name was Master Chief. So it, technically her name is Master Chief Rosie. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so E3 2000, they came out with a trailer. Everyone loses losing their mind. This game looks so good. It's unbelievable. It's beautiful. And but it's a third person action game. So not a first person shooter that we know and love today. So then on June 19th, uh, Microsoft came out and announced that it had acquired Bungie and Halo was going to become an Xbox exclusive game. Take that, Apple. Take that, Apple. <laughs> Take that, Steve Jobs. I'm sure, I'm sure. Spinning uh, in his grave. I'm sure, uh, <laughs> you know, two, well, 2000, yeah, you could have sent a text. I'm sure, uh, you know, or oh, an yeah. email anyway. Uh, Steve Jobs got an email from Bill Gates. It's just like, take that. Yeah. It's just that. That's all, that's all the email said. Uh, and so when they did that, Bungie totally rewrote the game, uh, rewrote the code, and turned it into a first-person shooter. And um, so and it, the whole time, the one other interesting point is the whole time um, Combat Evolved was never in the name. It was always supposed to just be Halo. And then the marketers at Xbox were like, People won't know it's a shooter. They're like, <laughs> it needs to sound more shootery. That's such, so they, that's such a doofy marketing I know, thing. I know, but they like, added combat evolved to the yeah. end of it. So Bungie conceded that one. Just but like, anyway. you know, the same story applies with uh, the NES game Metroid Alien Jellyfish, <laughs> which was the subtitle for that because people wouldn't know what a Metroid was. So they had to. Did they actually do that? No, that's actual bullshit. I'm just making okay. that up. But <laughs> see, it's the same thing. You can call a game Metroid. You can call a game Halo. Yeah. You don't have to throw combat yeah. involved well, or something. And, you know, by the year 2000, like trailers and websites and stuff, like people would have known what this game was, right? Yeah. It wasn't. But they, they were worried that like with Call of Duty and stuff, it wouldn't like the Halo name wouldn't pop enough. So they added combat. Evolved. So the but original it's funny title was Halo uh, Call of Duty Killer. <laughs> well, it's funny to think of that now, like with Halo being a, an established franchise. Well, and everyone just says Halo, Halo right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you instantly know what somebody's talking about. So yeah, the the name of it now is just the first Halo. The first Halo. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, let's listen to the opening suite and then we'll come back and talk about all the fun music.
Halo, I think of uh, a bag of Doritos and a bottle of Mountain Dew. Yeah, that's about sums it up. Actually, when I think of Halo, I think of the goddamn um, library level, which was basically <laughs> like, we ran out of time while developing this game, so we'll design like one floor of a building, and then there'll be like 30 floors, and they'll all be the same floor because we just cut and pasted that one floor, and you're going to fight your way all the way up and then all the way down. Have fun. Good, good yeah. filler level. Yeah, it is I, absolutely a filler I level. I wasn't really going to get into that stuff, but um, <laughs> but since you brought it up, um, that was, uh, like, when the game came out, it was pretty much almost universally praised as a masterpiece, but all the people that had problems with it had problems with exactly that. Mm-hmm. The cut and paste, uh, like, extend a level. Um, like, all the interior design in that game was awful. The interior stuff was yeah. awful. The, the exterior, exterior stuff, stuff was amazing, was actually though. really, really well done. Yeah, like, when you're walking on the Halo and stuff like yeah. that, it was super cool. And, like, I gotta admit, despite the fact I'm not a huge fan of the game, I the Warthog was fun to drive. Oh, it's so fun. <laughs> the, and the, uh, the... Oh, shoot. I just lost the name. The uh, the alien, like... Oh, it started with a zooming. P, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, I want to uh, say Phantom or something. I was going to say right. Phantom too, even though I, I'm pretty sure that's not right. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> anyway, purple anyway. And it's looks purple like a big and everybody knows and you can boost and run your friends over. Yeah. It's great. All right, so... Um, <laughs> but I really want to get into the, the music stuff about this game because um, it the, the engine that they used uh, to make the music in this game was kind of unique and, and, and developed in-house by Bungie. So... Um, Marty has said that his goal when he was composing was to give a feeling of importance, weight, and a sense of the ancient, which I think the music does perfectly. Um, so he designed all the music that it could be like basically broken apart and remixed in a way that would create multiple interchangeable loops and they could be, it could change the length and like the mix of it on the fly. So, um, basically what they did is they created what they called sound tags and sound files. So as you're playing the game, the music changes dynamically um, based on what you're doing. So if you are in the game and you, you know, you get to a part of the level faster than somebody else would normally get there. If you get into a big firefight, the music will increase in intensity during the firefight and will scale back as soon as you're done and stuff like that. So it's a, it, you know, there's there's a lot written about it, but it's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting system that they built because it's like it's it's totally variable. Like yeah, no matter how you know, like how never, you play, you'll never hear the music twice. You'll and like he specifically designed it so people couldn't pick up on the loops. Like he re- he made sure it was random enough that people weren't like, oh, every time I walk across the stream, the music changes. Yeah, I was well, going to ask if you could like step over this line and then step back and then step <laughs> over again yeah. and keep triggering the. <laughs> the and he totally talked about that. Like, and he was saying like, I want it to be, I want it to have impact and be and be tied to what's going on, but not be obvious. Like he was like, if you walk up a set of stairs and the music goes up and then you walk down and the music goes down, people are going to know what I'm doing. And yeah. he's like, I don't want that. I want it to be randomized. So it was a really amazing engine that they built for this. And yeah. so... Oh, sorry, I just wanted to mention, like, that, that's actually interesting, because interesting, we've talked about something like this similar on the podcast before, yep. which was the iMuse system that was developed at LucasArts, which yeah. was the same sort of concept where the music dynamically changes and actually, like, different pieces of music flow into each other. They actually, yeah, and his they does. change dynamically. And the weird thing about that is that was actually developed by a guy named Peter McConnell. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so Marty O'Donnell and Peter McConnell. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, uh, but yeah, so they, you know, Bungie built this system for him and he kind of worked with them at the same time. He also did like 
Uh, Marty also did like not only did he do the music, he did all of the sounds and the like. He oversaw all of the sounds and the dialogue in the game. He talked about uh, like just to get into the sounds a bit. He talked about like the sound of the sh- of a shell being ejected, like a cartridge being ejected from a rifle and hitting whatever surface you're standing on. So it makes a different sound. Like if you're standing on pavement and you shoot, the sound of the cartridge bouncing will make a different sound if you if you're standing on grass and shoot a cartridge. And like, and the velocity that it's ejected from the rifle and stuff like that, like they went really into it. Like it was really Depends in depth. On the gravity of the of the planet you're on, yeah. <laughs> and like, and then the other thing too about the sounds, like, and talking about like the randomness and the and the variables and stuff like that. Like when you're walking on the halo, um, they would they randomly like threw in like little bird chirps and the sound of the breeze to give it a more like natural feel. And like when you would walk towards a waterfall. Um, it was mixed in five to one, which they were very proud of. So as you would walk towards a waterfall, you could kind of hear it. And then as you walked past it, you could hear it moving away from you. They even did things like when things would fly by, um, there's an effect that you, uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but there's an effect you get from like, if you ever hear like a cop car go by, you hear that Mm -hmm. as it like drifts away from you. And it's just, it's the way the sound waves are coming back. They work that into the game. Um, so all this crazy stuff. Isn't that like the Doppler effect? The Doppler effect. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And um, so, and the other thing that he uh, really talked about was he wanted the music to be sparse in the game. He didn't want it to be overbearing. It's there when it when it can provide impact, but it it fades away entirely when it's not needed, or just to create a feeling of like emptiness or or like the finish of a battle or something like that. So, which I think it does great. Like he, uh, the one thing he said was that. Um, if music is constantly playing, it tends to become like a sonic wallpaper and it loses this impact to enhance or uh, create drama while you're playing. So yeah, the moments you need it, it's more powerful. Yeah. And it allows other things to breathe, like the visuals and the sound effects. Don't let it become elevator music, essentially. Yeah. I think he said like, basically he created about 20 minutes of music for 80 hours of gameplay. And so and, he was just lazy. Well, but <laughs> he created 20 minutes of music, but then it all mixes dynamically. But yeah. like, but that's, that was his theory, right? Like he, sh- you don't need to have 80 hours of music for 80 hours of gameplay, basically. Yeah. Um, just three notes and you just like, <laughs> remix those over and over. I mean, think about bubble bobble. I've put like 400 hours into that game. <laughs> that's got like eight notes just repeating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then when he scored the movie or scored the movie, when he scored the game, he scored it like he scored a movie. So he would sit down with like the level designers and they would play through it and they would be like, they would tell him like, okay, at this part you're getting in, you're getting ready for the battle. Like, you know, the music should start to build. And so he would kind of do it like that. And then they would set these sound tags up within the game for that reason. So, uh, the final, I actually found a, uh, PowerPoint uh, presentation that he gave on the music, uh, after the game had come out. So the final tally, uh, of tags and sound files was there was 400 4311 sound tags and 11692 sound files and those all combine dynamically while you're playing the game to give you all the sounds all the sounds and the music and everything in the game so it's pretty cool it was a pretty giant undertaking and all of this was back in 2000 or 2001 yeah this is 2000 wow. right? the distant past yeah yeah but it, <laughs> well, I mean, but it like, was innovative for the time it's, yeah, it absolutely. even sounds pretty impressive by today's standards but this yeah. was like 15 16 17 years ago yeah, yeah. exactly and i don't know this if this is in your notes but you're talking about all the the work that uh marty o'donnell actually did to you know put this all together and how, how much he's involved in the sound and everything but yeah. actually his voice is the voice of a lot of the enemies so like yeah. the 
Yeah. I got three of them. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he voiced the Hunters, the Jackals, and the Flood. Huh. Uh, we're all Marty himself. So that and that that one was like a. I'm surprised you know that one because that was like one of the rare <laughs> facts I found. You must have. Did you know gaming or something? I, I actually I've I've looked into Halo in the past just mainly because of the music actually because yeah. yeah. that's the only part fantastic. of Halo I like. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's all on you. So for yeah. me, this game, yeah, like you said, it was what Doritos and Mountain Dew. Or? Yeah, well, wasn't that its main marketing <laughs> well, campaign? Xbox was bro culture, right? Yeah, exactly. L- later on, yeah, <laughs> it definitely became that. But um, the thing for me, what it reminds me of was it was I played this game. I didn't actually own an original Xbox, so it was all at friends' houses. And there was one friend in, I guess it would have been junior high at the time uh, that I was playing this, or high school. I'm going to say junior high. Yeah, it was junior high. And uh, yeah, we used to go over to his house and have like sleepovers and just we'd just repeatedly beat the game. Mm-hmm. Like so we'd play co-op and just well, run through the whole game. This one had multiplayer as well, right? Or did that- it had multiplayer, but not online multiplayer. Okay. So um, that was actually <clears throat> originally the game was announced to have multiplayer. Yeah. And the Xbox Live service wasn't ready in time. So that was one thing that people were kind of upset about because they were like, this game would be awesome with multiplayer. And um it actually did eventually get a release on Mac and PC mm. and uh, it had multiplayer there. It also got um, on PC. It got a special release uh, called like the collector's edition or something like that. And um, basically it was a level customizer. Like they had built a full level customizer so you could build levels uh, like in uh, doom and quake before um, you could build levels and uh, create custom levels and then go in and play them with your friends. That's fine on it, PC. So. Interesting thing about uh, Halo as well is that um, it was one of the first console games to have LAN support as well. So it yeah. had multiplayer and actually allowed you to connect Xboxes to other Xboxes. To, yeah, to yeah. Have massive multiplayer. Battles. So people were lugging around all those big giant <laughs> exactly. power, power supply boxes. Yeah, everywhere. and like the heat in those rooms must have just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, no, we we did it a couple times where we would like connect, you know, connect a few Xboxes. Like you, and then like the worst was like when you'd had to haul a TV. So this is in like mostly in the days of like CRT, right? So it'd be like, all right, I'm gonna bring my Xbox and my TV over. But like you're in junior high, so the biggest <laughs> TV you can carry is maybe a 20 incher, yeah. right? So you're and like that's the biggest that'll fit in your car. So yeah, we would like. We have these tiny little TVs and all four of us like trying to see like a quarter of the screen. It was pretty rough. Even I, those little TVs were better than doing some sort of like split screen like we all used to do with GoldenEye. No, we did split screen on the little yeah. TV. Oh, on the little Oh, yeah, ones. it was oh, brutal. Because okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is, if you, you, even if you had them like all networked together, you had four people on a single TV yeah. still in that case, right? So Yeah, yeah so it's doubly bad. Oh. Small TV with, with uh, yeah. four player split that's screen. Tough. This game I actually played. You said junior high. I actually played this game in university when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've never, I never actually played the multiplayer for it ever. I played the co, I played through co-op. Me and a buddy played through the co-op on whatever the highest difficulty is, legendary or yeah. or what whatnot. I think and it's that, legendary. That makes and, sense. And so that that's my only memory of Halo. That's the yeah. Only thing that but the co-op, that's that's my favorite oh, yeah, memory co- of it. The, the, co-op, like the fact that it had co-op and it was, was so good. It was, worked really f- yeah. well, and, it, and like the scaling of enemies and stuff was all was all fantastic. I love to co-op in that game. Which Halo game is it that has the multiplayer level where it's like these two giant fortresses <laughs> outside and you can jump in these launchers yeah. that shoot you across the fields? I think that I think that actually that level specifically, it's been named a couple different things throughout the series. Is it an infamous level like a lot yeah, of people? Yeah, I think I want to say it started in 2. Okay. But it might also be in 1. And just in it like a slightly different arrangement, but yeah, the launcher, yeah, like we did that in Halo Three a lot. Okay, because I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that okay, later. Okay, I don't want to talk sure. about the future Halos if if you're not there, but yeah. that's about my only experiences. <laughs> I had this one friend that 
the only game he ever wanted to play was Halo. Yeah. And he only ever played that level. Yeah. So I only, that's my only experience is playing that same level over <laughs> and over again and nothing else. Now, oh, isn't there like a current remake out? Like it's quite often featured in uh, highlight videos and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the, like a lot of clips of Halo specifically yeah. multiplayer. So, so it's well, like a remaster or something. Yeah. So what happened was uh, they released uh, the Halo anniversary collection or Halo anniversary, I think is all it was called. And, um, uh, basically, it had all one, two, and three, and I think four as well. Yeah, one, two, three, and four uh, for the Xbox One when it came out, and um, and uh, basically it was it was really cool because they actually did a lot of work on remastering the game itself, and then also they added multiplayer to one that didn't have it originally, um, like uh, online multiplayer, I should say. And the other cool thing you could do was you could go through the whole game and you could press like one of the uh, I think the shoulder buttons or something and it would um, switch dynamically between the uh, original graphics like and mm. the updated ones and it's like when you when you just watch clips of people doing that you're like wow <laughs> like, <laughs> you know because it, it's, it's like always Ocarina of Time in your memory versus you exactly know, what it yeah the memory like. of it and you're <laughs> like man this game looked great and then you look at it now and you're like whoa this game was ugly <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, the switching back and forth is fantastic. And, um, the, for one of the coolest things I thought was they redid all the cinematics. Uh, they had blurred redo them, uh, because the cinematics, if you're going to have anyone redo your cinematics. Well, and they were just like in game engine cinematics in the first game. And when they redid them, they were like, Oh my God, like it's, it's a whole, it's like a whole nother thing. Right. So it's a little movie essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that was a lot about Halo, but, uh, <laughs> that's just getting us, getting us started for the month. And that way we can roll into the, uh, roll into the other weeks. Jordan, what do you got for me? All right. This month I'm talking about the street fighter series, but we got to start with where it all began. No, we're not <laughs> going to go with street fighter one. <laughs> oh. We're going to start where it actually took off. And that's everybody's probably everybody's favorite, uh, street fighter two. We're going we're gonna to gloss through the entire Street Fighter 2 series because I could just talk about Street Fighter 2 as a series all month long because of how many different versions there are, but I'm just going to, I'm going to gloss through it pretty quick. Do you know offhand how many there are? Yes, I do. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> all right. So everybody's familiar with Street Fighter, so I'm not going to talk about what it is yet. Um, it's, so the, here's the list I, I have written down. And there might be one or two I'm missing here because this doesn't account for like if they're like the puzzle fighters or anything like that. Any of the offshoots. Mm. This is just simply Street Fighter 2 video games. So we start with the original that came out in 1991 in arcades, uh, Street Fighter 2, The World Warrior. Then they had. That, that was the first title. It wasn't just called Street Fighter 2. It was called Street Fighter 2 and then subtitled The World Warrior. Oh, okay. That was the first one I ever played as well. Then they had championship, sorry, champion edition. That was the first one I played. There you go. <laughs> and, and I believe that one was either very similar or it was, I, I'm, because I always get that one mixed up with turbo. Well, I always thought that, see, the thing about championship edition was it was basically um, the home console port of the arcade yeah. edition. And uh, it was it was pretty faithful. The first time I played it was on the Genesis. And that was actually, I think, the reason they, they introduced the six-button controller on the Genesis as well. Yeah, that was, was tough. Was for Street Fighter? For Street, well, for Street Fighter and I think Mortal Kombat, which was also sort of taking off at the time as well. That's cool. Those were the fight games that actually supported it, right? That was really hard with a three-button controller. It was ridiculously hard. <laughs> it, was, it was a little broken. Uh, so I think you're right. World Warrior and, was the original arcade, and then Champion Edition was the home release. And I think Turbo was the one where they introduced the, the new Warriors. Yeah, and so, tur- well, 
sort of turbo was the one that allowed you to play as the bosses that were already in street fighter two. So all they did is they made them playable characters. There was also, um, like palette updates, like the colors were a little different. Um, and then they came out with super street fighter two, the new challengers. And this is where they introduced the new characters as part of the street fighter two series. So you had like T Hawk and Cammy and DJ and a few others. Fei Long, I know you like yeah, Bruce, Fei Long. Bruce Lee. <laughs> My favorite. So, so Fei Long is obviously, uh, a, a huge, huge, hugely inspired by Bruce Lee, and a lot of a lot of the characters actually root back to uh, like I believe stuff, yeah. DJ is supposed to be based off of Billy Blanks. If anyone remembers <laughs> <Yeah>. Tybo, <laughs> is he really supposed to be? Yeah, oh, uh, according hilarious. to the early. Um, uh, concept art and the designs they have of all the characters. Yeah, I'll get into the the, the more familiar characters a bit later. But because yeah, uh, you have a story about Balrog, I'm sure. I, oh, there's a great story there, <laughs> and I'm sure most hardcore fans know. Even some you know some casual fans probably know the story. But uh, so after Street Fighter Super Street Fighter Two, the new challengers, we then came out with, and I believe this is where the names started to become almost a joke. We came out with Super Street Fighter Two Turbo, where they just combined the last two names. Um, then there was an anniversary edition called Hyper Street Fighter 2, which was essentially fast mode. But if you think, well, what was Turbo? Well, Turbo also had fast mode. Um, Turbo introduced like, um, if, if Street Fighter 2 was um, based on a speed of like, say, one to five, then Turbo allowed you to go up to 10. So it just like really amp, like ramped up the speed of the game. So when Hyper came out, it was almost a response to, and I'm, I know you guys know, but anyone listening, um, like if you've ever gone into an arcade, like one of those, like um, not an official arcade, but like maybe an old burger joint and they have like a hacked version mm. of a game, you know, like- <laughs> I know the burger joint you're yeah, talking about. I'm referring to an actual place yeah. right now. <laughs> In Calgary, yeah. <laughs> but there's, uh, you, you know, you'll you'll see something weird. Like why is, uh, is Ryu jumping in the air and shooting fire balls like when he's not on the ground and why why are you able to like air block and do all these like it's almost like you're breaking the game well hyper street fighter 2 was almost a response to that when one of the developers realized like there is there is an audience out there for this so they made not not necessarily that but like almost a ridiculous version of Street Fighter 2 where it was like even faster than Turbo and just a bunch of ridiculous stuff like that. Uh, all the settings have been tweaked for everything. And yeah. it's funny about the burger joint you mentioned is because they have several arcade games in there and every single one is tweaked to have like special custom Yeah, they're settings. all like hacked. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. <laughs> well, like we were playing Miss Pac-Man and, and it like starts at like level 10 difficulty where the ghosts are like on turbo mode. It's, yeah. it's not fair. But anyways, <laughs> I don't understand why this guy has a collection of hacked um, arcade games and he doesn't just have the originals. And I don't even know if they're even specifically hacked because in a lot of arcade games, and I know this from like a lot of pinball machines, is that a lot of the settings are actually like you come you come to a sort of a setting screen when you first like power it up, you can actually bring up something that allows you to adjust the number of lives, the, like the number of like moves and things like that. Like a lot yeah. of that stuff is actually settable by the arcade operator. So this guy just likes goofy yeah. versions and he likes to tweak with the settings. It's like, perhaps this, yeah. this is street fighter, but better. <laughs> so we've said street fighter two world warrior champion edition turbo super street fighter two new challengers, super street fighter two turbo hyper street fighter two. Now we're at the most current version, super street fighter two turbo HD remix. And just recently announced at uh, the Nintendo Direct a few weeks back, they announced a newer version called Ultra Street Fighter <laughs> 2, the final challengers. So I have to ask one question because I've never actually understood this whole like sure. million editions of Street Fighter. Yeah. Um, is everyone iterative? So does everyone build on the one previous? Yeah. Okay. I don't think there's a version that takes a step back in any sort of way. 
okay. it's always progressing forward. And why don't so they do a remake of the original Street Fighter where it's like Street Fighter like, One? What was it like? Four characters? <laughs> yeah, there, was, characters. there wasn't many characters, and <laughs> yeah. I believe you could only play as Ryu yeah. if you were if you were playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's so many versions of Street Fighter Two. We're not talking about the whole franchise, yeah. just Street Fighter Two. Well, it's by far the most and, like famous. And so, Street the first Street Fighter Two came out in '91. We're getting another one this year, and they're calling it the Final Challengers. And I can't help <laughs> but laugh and think, Are we going to get the Final Challengers Part Two or the Final Final Challengers? <laughs> the Turbo Final Challengers. Yeah, yeah, they don't have Turbo in this name yet yeah but uh so there's room if there's, there's room to expand if there's any sort of pattern like if like not to talk too much about street fighter 4 but the one of the last versions of street fighter 4 which this is a tradition all street fighter games have these like stupid tacked on extra names and words in yeah. their title the last street fighter 4 game was ultra street fighter 4 so now yeah. that we have an ultra street fighter 2 maybe ultra is their way of saying okay finished we're done <laughs> <laughs> um but you know, it's it's one of the most influential fighting games of all time. I think it really, like, in the early 90s when this game came out, it inspired a whole plethora of other fighting games. Like, we talked about Shaq-Fu, Clay Fighter, World Heroes, <laughs> Primal Rage, all these, like, obscure fighting games that maybe would have came out, but I guarantee you they were inspired by Street Fighter because I think Street Fighter was one of the first games to come out that really showed that how fighting games could be done properly. And that's the thing is, to this day... Every fighting game, every single fighting game owes something to Street Fighter. Just look at most yeah, no fighting question. games that have projectiles. And I think most characters, like, they have, like, the down-forward punch. Well, you can attribute that to, to, to Ryu and Ken and the Hadouken fireball. Um, I, love, I love that, though. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Babies who are being born right now instinctively know how to do that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like born in our DNA automatic. as humans. Yeah. Your yeah. thumb just rolls to <laughs> shoot a fireball on the controller. If either you two ever have kids, it'll just be like, they'll just come out of the womb <laughs> doing Hadoukens. Flipping the joystick. What is he doing? And then you just put a controller in his hand. It's like, oh, he's doing Hadoukens. And it's funny because, uh, well, and I'll just, just to sort of tie off the whole arcade thing, like this uh, was one of the most successful arcades of all time. It had made something like nine billion and quarters. Oh my God. Um, really? And it's in its lifetime. Like, um, I like think from in, yeah. Or, or, or it was something like, um, sorry, 9 billion quarters. Okay. But like $2 billion, something like that, or two point something or 3 billion, you know, that's bananas. And like, I, I, I didn't want to Capcom keeping all those quarters. <laughs> <laughs> so they like, it's They've got a Scrooge McDuck money ball and it's <laughs> and just quarters. It, yeah. yeah. It's a huge success. Um, so let's, so I, like, I will, I will, I want to talk more about the HD remix because this is the most current version of Street Fighter 2. And sure, yeah. I guess it's the most complete version from a certain standpoint. And it's got the most content, I guess is a better way of putting it. Um, so uh, the series itself spawned everything from like a toy line, clothing line, an anime series, a live action movie, which everybody <laughs> loved, um, comic book series, which has yep. not stopped since the game came out. Like I, I said in a previous episode, I was reading Street Fighter comics by this, this company called Malibu Entertainment. That was in the early 90s when I first started playing Street Fighter. Well, um, there's there's a company called Udon Entertainment and they've been making Street Fighter comics for the last 10, 15 years. Like the series has not stopped. There's been Street Fighter comics ongoing since the early yeah, 90s. Prominent artists from that series co- frequently come to the uh, Calgary Expo. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've picked up a Street Fighter piece from one of the artists. Those so. Udon, yeah, those Udon artists are amazing. Even before I was like, I really, I, as, as a kid and stuff, I never really got into Street Fighter. I don't know, like maybe it was just because I didn't have a... Um, I wasn't really big into Super Nintendo. I was a Joy's Genesis kid and stuff like that. But, and my friends, I don't know. I, I just, none of my friends were ever really big fighting game uh, guys until very recently, hmm. uh, where we, where uh, one of my friends was just, 
he just loves watching uh, competitive streams. And obviously, there's always fighting games on competitive streams. So he was like, let's get Street Fighter 4. Mike, buy Street Fighter 4. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Well, and so it, then we started playing it. It's all on how you grow up because I honestly thought fighting game, the fighting game genre was as popular as platformers like my whole life <laughs> until I got oh, yeah. older and realized fighting game, the fighting game genre is actually like pretty low tier on popularity. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind not, of a subgenre. Yeah, yeah. And I did, I had no idea. And it was all because of who I grew up with. Like my brother and all my friends, we played fighting games as much as we played Mario. Yeah. And it, it, to me, I just always thought fighting games were something that everybody did. I, I always think of it kind of like sim racers, right? Like, uh, or like really heavy, like simulation racers where like there's a, there is a subsect of people that like, that is all they play and they have the wheel in their house and they have the chair and they have the 3d setup and they yeah. have like every, they got seven screens and it's this whole thing, but it's like, and there's a group of people that that is it. Like yeah. that is, that That's is the their thing. That is the shit. But like yeah. for, but, and like, it's the same with the fighting game community, right? Like yeah. there's a subsect of fighting people that have like 26 joysticks in their house. Cause they've worn out 25 and you know what I mean? Yeah. And it wasn't until I got older and, and thought people were losing interest in fighting games, which yeah, sure. They were a little more popular in the nineties because they were, it was sort of like a new genre that was blowing up. Yeah. But I kind of felt like I could see it dying off and I realized it wasn't really dying off as much as I was just part of this community that I wasn't a part of anymore. Yeah. So, but uh, like, go ahead. I was just going to say, Mike, to your point too, is that I actually do have a friend uh, who only plays fighting games. That's it. Street yeah. Fighter, Street Fighter exclusively. And yeah. actually I believe he has traveled down to Vegas to compete in Evo. Oh like, wow! Not successfully, but you know, but even so, <laughs> but, even, but, even but even so, like even ago, like he's, he's that, he's that big, he's into that into it. it. Yeah. 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 And it's just, and uh, where I was going with this whole thing is that even before I got into fighting games, I saw some Udon art and I was like, that, that that's, is awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, the first strategy guide that I ever bought was actually a street fighter strategy guide. And I only bought it for the artwork. Yeah. So yeah, that was yeah. back in the day when strategy guys had awesome. <laughs> you had all the, all the moves in there. And yeah. Yeah. Cause, and that was the other thing too, is like, you didn't know what the combos were and, yeah. and it was basically, to figure out how to pull off combos and get yeah. better, better. Was there not combo screens? Well, see, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to okay, jump okay. all sorry, over. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I'm jumping all over the map because I want to go back to Udon. But real quick, Street Fighter invented combos. Yeah. And it was because of a bug in the system that you could cancel out in a move and, and start a new move. And it wasn't actually intentional. And it created a combo system that you like you could mul hit your opponent multiple times and they couldn't escape. And they eventually fixed it in an updated version and realized that it made the game less fun. And so it became a feature. <laughs> so they, they brought the combo system back and they actually put a little hit counter up on the screen to show your combo system. And that was the origination of combo systems, which every fighting game has now. It's a staple. It's like yep. you need to have combos. Um, but going back to Udon now, um, so the company doesn't just do Street Fighter. They do pretty much everything Capcom. They do like art books for Resident Evil, Mega Man, Street Fighter, everything. I think I even saw um, a book for one of the games. No, you're not talking about it now. Never mind. I won't. <laughs> one one, one we, we talked off camera about. I'm curious. Uh, um, I'll, I'll mention it later because uh, I don't want to go off topic too much. <laughs> so um, the HD remix, um, it's pretty much a love letter to um, the, the, the franchise, the series, because you get like the guys that 
are doing the comic book work and they did all they did an updated sprite set for the game. So if you play HD Remix, the HD Remix uh, represents the fact that Udon redid all the graphics, all the sprite work. So backgrounds, the projectiles, the characters, every frame of animation is totally redone by the the comic guys. Now, in a lot of HD remixes of games, generally they will go like it's not sprites anymore. They will basically go with the full on sort of scanned drawing. It, it doesn't have sprites in the same sense yep. that, you know, you actually see pixels. Yep. Now, did they actually do sprites? Because as far as I'm concerned, Street Fighter 2 means yeah. pixelated so, sprites. So here's the thing to the hardcore players. There's a setting that you can actually turn between the original sprites versus what you're saying. You're actually right. They're not truly sprites. They are drawings. Mm -hmm. But because it's it's traditionally a sprite-based fighting game, and to a lot of people, those pixels mean something. Yeah. Because if you look at the drawing of Guile versus the sprites of Guile, like if you look at the early renditions of what Guile is, he's actually kind of like a ripped, lanky, like military guy. Yeah. And if you look at him now in the comic books, he's got like these big, giant shoulders it's and enormous, traps. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> as, he's bigger than Zangief was in the first Street Fighter. <laughs> so he's the drawings have actually like influenced the game a lot. Like even though the hit detection and the sprites are still filling up the same framework, um, the, the drawings are a little misleading. Like it doesn't feel the same. Mm -hmm. So I find like, I'm actually going back and forth between the pretty artwork versus what actually feels right with the game. And you could switch back and forth. See, that's the thing is I think if you're doing an HD remix of street fighter, what you should do is keep the sprites, maybe improve the sprites a bit, add more frames of animation to them. Yeah. But, you know, it would don't be, get rid of those pixels. Yeah. That's beautiful. Work. I think the important thing is you keep the amount of frame time it takes to to pull off a move because you can't change how the game plays, but to see more fluent animation would be nice. Mm -hmm. So if it takes like three frames to make a punch connect, then I want to see all three frames filled with animation versus like a neutral and a, and a punch animation, you know, yeah. just to take you totally off on another tangent yet again, let's go. Um, <laughs> the, uh, between versions of street fighter two. So we talked about like the six or seven different versions there are. Yeah. Um, didn't they make slight, slight, slight tweaks in like uh, numbers of frames of animation and times time for I, things to hit and yeah. stuff like that? Like each game is a little different, right? Yeah, they're they're definitely adjusting the game as you play through. Like I even mentioned that they um, adjusted the combo system along the way and introduced combos. There's no way you can do that without actually making those adjustments that you said. Yeah, um, I can I can like I've played enough Street Fighter that I can feel the difference when I'm playing Street Fighter Two versus Turbo, and then I feel like it's a huge leap to Super Street Fighter 2 where you actually had the official combo system in play. So, like, you're totally right. Okay. They did, they did. That's what I thought. Yeah, and I think most people would say Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo is the um, the official version, like, before HD Remix. Yeah. Um, it's the version that introduced Akuma, which is another fan favorite, um, and it has the full roster, everyone else. Um, but on top of the name being HD Remix, and having the Udon guys draw all the artwork, they reached out to the OC Remix community online. And for those that don't know, it's a it's a prolific uh, community of video game music um, remixers and composers. I would bet if you're listening to this podcast, you've been to <laughs> yeah, you've probably OC been Remix there. before. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've actually featured OC Remix on the podcast. We've definitely talked about yeah, this before. Like yeah. we've done a remix episode. I'm sure more than a few were from that community. Yeah. So they reached out to the um, the OC Remix community to create the new soundtrack for this game. Cool thing is, is even though the game is filled with remixes, um, they're official Street Fighter songs now because they're in the game. So um, 
that leads us up to where we're going to play our first song. So we're going to jump in with the first song from the Street Fighter 2 series. This is the intro menu theme from HD Remix, but it's actually, uh, even though it's the intro song to this game, it's actually a remix of Ken's theme from the original series. So, so I think <laughs> mo- I, I think if you ask most people, they they probably say Ken's theme or Guile's theme. Those are probably the uh, the, 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 the big ones. <laughs> yeah, they're basically like the music spokes spoke songs of the series. Oh yeah, yeah big yeah. time. Like you hear them and you just want to fight somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I didn't write the name down, but I believe it's um, it's Clamato Fever is the is the nickname, and Clamato it's by Fever, yeah. by two artists. I, I believe it's two artists. I apologize because I looked into one of them, AE and Prozax. So the Clamato, <laughs> Clamato Fever, this is Ken's theme slash the intro to Street Fighter 2 HD Remix. Let's go. reason why it's Clamato fever because yeah Clamato the drink is drink is red yeah. and it's Ken's theme and Ken is traditionally the <laughs> one that wears the red geese so yeah oh really it, that's it all it is the red color is not like true red it's not cherry red or it's Clamato red. red yeah yeah for me the Street Fighter series just makes me think of beating up cars uh, yeah that that's I always love that about the Street Fighter series was like the bonus levels yeah. where they like you, you barrels bri- are falling. Yeah. Yeah. The barrels fall. You break the barrels. There's like a stack of bricks. You yeah. got to knock them all down. There's breaking the car. I don't think 
And it's like, it's a great shame of mine, but I don't think I've ever successfully completely destroyed the car. What? Yeah, I, like, I, I never played enough Street Fighter. So, so rookie mistake, maybe this is what you're doing. Probably. If you're t- attacking the car from one side, eventually if you keep attacking it from the same side, it becomes invincible. Oh, you have okay. to jump to the other side and start breaking from the other side. That's probably it. And it starts to break <laughs> and break I'm apart. Pretty oh, okay. sure with at least some of the characters, you could jump like straight on top of the car and do like one heavy low move that would basically hit both sides and you could break the car with just doing that. Yeah, there's like a like a crossover type move you could do. Um, and of course you have some characters like E Honda and Chun-Li, which have like in sort of like that rapid attack where you mm-hmm. tap the punch or the kick yeah. button and you uh, you just go like super fast on it. <laughs> so like this, this you sort could of- do it with uh, I don't know what version it is, but you can do it with a friend, right? Like you. Oh can yeah, do yeah. Oh yeah, I True. think so. All, yeah, all yeah. of them. Um, well, actually, that so these bonuses are are um, sort of set up for the arcade mode playthrough, which is typically a one player thing. Okay. So I don't know offhand where it is that you do it on two players, but yeah. I think you guys are right that it exists in one of the games somewhere. I'm yeah, sure I've it, seen it does, footage I, of it because I'm. All, I don't know if this is my memory playing tricks, but I mean, I had brothers and I had Street Fighter games on the Genesis, and I'm almost certain that we played two people fighting the same car. Yeah, I, and I'm sure you're right. I just can't think of a game offhand. Maybe I yeah. was just a loser that always <laughs> played by myself. <laughs> no, you were just getting better. And I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if this is an actual fact or an alternative fact, but uh, I, in the arcade, I think it was Street Fighter that introduced the system of putting up your quarter, essentially. Oh yeah, uh, quarter, uh, quarters up, quarters up. Yeah, <laughs> where you basically would like queue next, up on the machine. Game. Yeah, yeah, by putting your quarter up on the monitor. So. Okay, so don't want to go too much off topic, but I need to ask, and I haven't asked <laughs> this. So I was. I, so I, I was like away like for a few weeks, like a few months back and somebody put like a street fighter quarter on my monitor <laughs> and I never asked. And I just thought it would be funnier to not ask and just wait for one of you guys to say something who gave me that street fighter quarter. <laughs> uh, you, that would be me. That yeah. was you. Actually that, that, <laughs> that street fighter quarter is a uh, token from the uh, Capcom arcade in, uh, in Narita, Japan. Wow. Actually. Well, thank so you. It, they actually, they had a, uh, uh, just a, in, in, in a mall, it was basically an entire arcade that was labeled Capcom. Yeah. And it was all, it was kind of like a pachinko parlor slash gambling den yeah. kind of thing. Less an arcade and more kind of like a gambling thing. And they had, they had like Mario Kart machines. And oh, like, those oh, machines yeah. are awesome. Those My machines are those awesome. There's like, machines in it's Japan. like a 12 person thing. It's like an enormous carousel. Everybody sits around it and it's like, you're playing on a screen and there's also all this like, activity going on and this Rube, around you yeah. yeah this rube goldberg machine that's kind of like <laughs> in front of you doing all of this stuff and the whole place was insane and of course like most arcades you use tokens so that's where that ryu yeah it's capcom got ryu token. and i believe it's like it, it says capcom on it mm-hmm. i don't know if it uh, if that's it if it, he gave he gave yeah. one to me as well and it's sitting on my monitor oh, well. except I, I gave it dra- straight to you and i just stuck, stuck it, it on my monitor <laughs> I, did, I didn't know this story thank you for saving it for the podcast it's perfect well and i wasn't saving it for a street fighter podcast I was actually just like, one day I'll ask, but I know it's from one of you two, and I wanted to <laughs> thank you both, but I thought it was funnier that just to not say anything and see if one of you guys mentioned it. And I'm like, Street Fighter podcast, <laughs> I'm going to ask about this Street Perfect Fighter time. arcade coin that I have. Yeah. Um, so if you ever go to, to Japan, Capcom, like fun, fun Zone or whatever it is, bring it <laughs> play. Well, and like back in the day, like Street Fighter arcades were everywhere. Like I would go to 7-Eleven and like buy milk and as a kid, and there would be like a Street Fighter arcade. There'd be no other arcades but there was a street fighter or I'd go off to my cabin and there'd be a laundry mat there and there'd be a few games, 
but Street Fighter was always one of them. I'm, I, I, you know, we talk about it all the time, but I so miss those days. I so miss yeah. the days of walking into random establishments it, and having arcade machines. Like, well, it'd be so cool. Now you have to go to an arcade place, like a, yeah. like a place that has arcades, whereas back then it was like everywhere you went, like you could uh, go into like a restaurant and there'd be an arcade at like the uh, the front lobby. Yeah, now it's like, like you said, it's like a journey, it's a quest. It's like, I know if I want to play arcades, I've got to go to the airport or the the Flames Community Center at, uh, has like pinball and stuff like that. Yeah. There's, a, there's a bar near my house that has pinball. Yeah. Stuff like that. You have to actually seek it out. I think the theater in my local, not the theater, but the local community center in my neighborhood has a couple of arcades. There's yeah. like a T2 and a I Simpsons. Think, I think we're getting to the point though, like gaming has become so prolific. It, it's, you know, everyone... Everyone in some aspect calls themselves a gamer, whether you're playing a Facebook game or you're playing Super Mario Run or the new Fire Emblem or what, like uh, an Android or whatever you're playing. Like gaming is so prolific throughout the culture and like with every generation, it grows even more. I think we may one day get back to that. I don't know, simply because of what you mentioned is that everybody games and everybody is basically came carrying a gaming machine in their pocket. In their pocket. But so uh, it's almost like if you are out and about and you want to play games, you've got your gaming machine with you. Arcades, yeah. I don't think we'll ever Plus make they're kind well, of expensive to manufacture unless, absolutely, unless yeah. they're main machines. Yeah. Then it's more cost effective. Well, and that's what I can kind of see. Like I don't think I don't think we're going to get to full-blown arcades again, but I can see places like laundromats, pizza places, like putting in, like MAME, MAME is already so cheap to do. Like, yeah. you know, if, if there was a manufacturer that really got out there and started marketing it to these places, I don't think it would take, you know, too much effort to start that snowball rolling down the hill. You know what I mean? Like just, and, just well, enough, enough, a lot because, enough places like a pizza hut or Domino's says we're putting them in every one of our places. Like every, like, you know, one or a McDonald's or yeah. something. Yeah. It would have to be a lot. Cause even the infrastructure for people to like be available to maintain and empty out quarters and stuff like that. Yeah. All of that stuff is like back in the day when it was everywhere. That was a big yeah. thing. It was an industry. Yeah. Who I walks guess, around yeah. with quarters nowadays too, right? Unless they had like a, have a, have we'll a swipe. Just do credit card tap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Apple pay. I want to pay with people, my wallet. Well, you go to the, you go to the arcade at the theater and you don't even get tokens anymore. You basically just use get quarters. a card. You know, you don't yeah. even use quarters. Oh. You put money on a card and then every machine swipe is card. swipe. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or you pay for overall time and you can play unlimited. That, that was the best. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Cause then you just run around and do as many machines as you could in like yeah. kind of half hour or something. So I have a lot of points left, but I'm going to skip them all and save them for uh, <laughs> another time because I'm going to be talking about street fighter next week as well. Just the last point that I can only tie into this episode. Um, Growing up with Street Fighter 2, um, again, like I played so much of it and I wanted to be really good. Uh, a lot of my friends played it. I didn't know who the best character was and I wanted to find out. So I'm not talking about who I was good with because I was really good with Zangief. I was good with Guile. Those were kind of my two favorites. Eventually I got good with everybody. You're but saying I who's the most rigged? But who's <laughs> the best <laughs> who's character? Overpowered? And yeah. as, as, as a, like an, a nine or 10 year old kid, I created a spreadsheet and I ran <laughs> through, I'm, I'm not joking. I ran through the game with every character and put them through a series of tests to find out who would be the best character based, based on a nine year old's brain. Okay. <laughs> so you have to understand this what is nine. Your, I got to know the test. So the only, the, so the only tests I remember from years back, um, I had, do they shoot a fireball? <laughs> and it was either a check, a check or a not, yeah. not check. Yeah. So do yes they, or no. Do they have a turbo move? So in this case, it only would have been um, Blanca with the electricity, Chun-Li with the kicks, or E-Honda with the 100 hand slaps. So do they have a turbo move? Um, 
And that was specifically for the brick levels, not for fighting. Like yeah. it was like, can I beat those bricks bonus levels <laughs> faster? <yeah. laughs> um, and how many moves do they have? Total? In total, like super moves. Okay. Um, because like, like um, someone like uh, Ryu would have the fireball, the dragon punch, the spin kick, but someone like... Zangief might only have the 360 pile driver, right? He might yeah. only have one move. Uh, well, he had more than that, but you you get the idea of my my spreadsheet methods. Yeah. And by the time I ran through the whole like algorithm of my nine year old brain, <laughs> and I beat the game with every character, put them through the tests, I came to the conclusion that the best character in the game of Street Fighter Two was E Honda. <laughs> and <Wrong>. so, I, <laughs> so I mained him for a while and realized it's about who you have fun with. And, and typically all the characters are very well balanced. So yeah, it's a good lesson to learn when you're nine. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, well, it's not about who you play with. It's about who you enjoy playing. With. Exactly. Exactly. And it, and it is, you know, I I've talked that I don't play a lot of sm fighting games, but the one do one I do play all the time is smash bros. And if smash bros has taught me anything, it's, you can win with anyone. Yeah. It's just how well do you know that character and how well do you know him versus every other character? Yeah. So. And I learned that pretty young when I uh, had the most fun playing with Zangief, who has like the, the most limited moveset, but all yeah. he has is grapples. Yeah. And I always thought that was super fun. And it was when like nobody could beat me as Zangief. I was like, <laughs> this is what I got to do. He is the funniest character. He's he is good. The best. Yeah, I he's mean, hilarious. that's why they put him in Wreck-It Ralph because yeah, people yeah. like Zangief. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, all that, right, Aaron. That's it. All right. Your turn, my buddy. turn. All right. I'm going to be talking about uh, a series that is near and dear to my heart. And I think this might be one that uh, you guys have a little less familiarity. I with. know nothing about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, me too. So this is class for me right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, This is going back to uh, this is a Sega series exclusively. And we're also starting with the first game in the series. Um, this is going all the way back to the Master System, which is a system that we haven't really talked about no. much yet. It's, nope. And again, like, I don't think any of us ever owned a Master System. No, nope. no. Nope. Nope. Precursor so, uh, to the Genesis, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. This was basically Sega's answer to the NES. Yeah. So the NES was out. You were either an NES kid or a Master System kid, but who are you kidding? Nobody was a Master System kid. <laughs> Everybody was in it. I actually know I had one friend who, who, owned, had a master who owned a Master System instead of an NES, and this kid was like the outcast. Yeah, he was the, he's the least yeah. cool kid at school. <laughs> I, I'd go to his house, and we played like Road Rash on, on, on the Master yeah, System. Road Rash was great. Road Rash was great. I have a note about Road Rash here from Street <laughs> Fighter, but I, I'm not going to talk about well, it. We can save that one if you want. <laughs> yeah. So the series, did I, did I mention the series yet? No, maybe not. Nope. The series is Fantasy Star. Now, the thing about Fantasy Star is, is that I say that name and a lot of the kids, the youngins watching, listening now are going to be thinking Fantasy Star Online, which yeah. is the only version of a Fantasy Star that kind of exists right now. Yeah. You can still play it. I mean, there was a remake, um, it, Fantasy Star Online 2 just got a re-release last year on the PS4. And so this, that... The online series goes back to like the Dreamcast originally, and then it got re-releases on the GameCube and the Xbox and that kind of thing. The community has been kind of like striving to keep that alive, right? Oh, yeah. Like it, it's like it's well, almost died a couple times, and they've like brought it up from yeah. the ashes, basically. Well, it's it's. I mean, I think it's fairly simple in the realm of like uh, massively multiplayer online games, but it was one of the first. It sort of broke a lot of ground in that genre. It and it's sort of well loved because of that. And, but the thing about Fantasy Star Online is it actually doesn't, other than like a few sort of name commonalities, it doesn't have a lot to do with the main series of Fantasy Star. So, and this is, and so I'm actually talking about the very first game in the Fantasy Star series, just called Fantasy Star for the Master System. And that game came out in 1987. Same year as Zelda. Yeah, same year as Zelda. Not that, not that it's like Zelda, but 
you know, someone like me that doesn't know Fantasy Star, yeah. right? before we but, started recording, I was like, oh, is that like Zelda? Because <laughs> it's an RPG sort of. But. And that's the thing is it's not an action RPG like Zelda. This is actually an uh, your standard RPG, JRPG. It actually came out in December of 1987. That was the same month and year that Final Fantasy came out, the very uh-huh. first Final Fantasy on the NES. So these were in development at the same time, and it, this was like... This was a new genre. Final Fantasy was people's first sort of introduction to that style of. Is that RPG. why they spelled fantasy weird? Well, they like were like, we want to, yeah, we want to separate ourselves from Final Fantasy. That's that may be true. I mean, it might just be an artistic thing. The the name Fantasy Star specifically is because while most fantasy games that came out before this were like fantasy, like dragons and you know swords and barbarians and monsters and that kind of thing, wizards. Fantasy Star was unique because it was a combination of fantasy and sci-fi. So everything took place in this world where there were like monsters and swords, but yet there was robots and technology and like computers and things like that. So that was a big component of the series. And one thing that actually set it apart from other ones in the genre. So the, uh, I obviously, like I said, I never played this on the master system, didn't own one. I didn't actually play this game till many, many, many years later on the, uh, on the Game Boy Advance. There was a Fantasy Star collection that came out on the Game Boy Advance. I think you've mentioned it before. I think I, I'm pretty sure that I have. Yeah. And I probably mentioned it because we have, as we've talked in the past, the Game Boy Advance had really terrible sound. Yeah. yeah. And it absolutely could not replicate the music. I mean, a little better for the Master System, but not the Genesis. And every game in the series that came after this came out for the Genesis. And it always killed me that I love the music from the series, but it was just garbage on the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> just Aww. awful. But I really wanted to go back and highlight this one for the music, because even though the music is more is simple, it's still good music. I mean, very simplistic for the time. And now, I, I, a little story that I have about the uh, me playing this on the Game Boy for the, for the first time is that, I think I was telling you, Jordan, the other day, that um, I used to walk to work, and it was about an hour and a half walk to work, and while I was walking, I would actually play video games on my Game Boy. That's so dangerous. I'm trying yeah. to do it. Yeah. That's why I said so when, we, dangerous. when we talked about this, I'm like, I don't know how you could do that. I would go into autopilot mode. And that's the thing is I wouldn't walk out into the street. I would still like, even though I was in autopilot mode, I would stop at all the lights and I would just be going. But you, I was totally engrossed in the game in the way that I would like leave work, flick on the thing. And then I would be playing, playing, playing. And I would look up and I'd be at home and I'm like, yeah. How'd that happen? Yeah. Like yeah, I've been walking walk for, into your front yeah, door by I, accident. I was yeah. walking an hour and a half and just, just you know. faded away. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic when but, you can do that, but it's just really dangerous. I've tried doing it. Yeah. Well, one thing that happened when I was actually doing this one time is uh, I was walking down the sidewalk because I'd only walked down the sidewalk and paths and stuff like that. And this guy on a bike was uh, coming towards me and he saw me coming and I was like watching my game and he got off he basically went off onto the road right where the curb was. And he was like right against the curb and he was a little wobbly and his, his tires scraped against the edge of the curb and he bailed. He actually went over the front of the handlebars. Oh shit. <laughs> and he yelled at me for, for not paying attention. But I yelled back at him like, you're not allowed to ride a bike on the sidewalk. It's for pedestrians. Plus, yeah, I'm, actually, that's you, a good point. And, and the thing is, there was a road and a bike path right there. Yeah, so, so you just got on the bike path. I had every reason to be mad at that guy. Yeah. He should, and, like, my the fact is, like, it was his own sort of inexperience that caused him to fall. <laughs> Not really the fact that, yeah. I, that I was doing anything. It's just so one of those he things He was just blaming me, Exactly. You hurt yourself, and you're just like, screw that guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's pretty much what it was. Fantasy Star 1 was also the... Uh, 
even though it was the first game in the series, it was the last game in the Fantasy Star series that I played. So there are four games in the main series. And again, I'm not counting online. Online doesn't count. It's sort of an offshoot as far as I'm concerned. So the main series had four, first on the Master System, then the, the other three came out on the Genesis. So here's, here's a fun fact about Fantasy Star, is it's not a very good game. No. <laughs> no. But you it's, love it. But I love it. The thing about Fantasy Star is, like, if you go back and play, like, the original Final Fantasy, you'll notice that, like, the systems are not very well worked out. It's very cumbersome. It's slow to walk anywhere. It's slow to fight. It's slow to deal with the menus. Well, it's going back to every, the thing we've mentioned a million times, the second games. It's yeah. Where, the first games where they get it out. Yeah. The second game is where they refine it. Absolutely. It good. Though the first game in the series did have a really unique feature that people praised at the time, and that was all the dungeons were in first person. So oh, er that, that is cool. Yeah, Actually, cool. I didn't know that. So, so it was like top down and then you enter the dungeon. And it was, then it yeah, it was like a sort of a top down isometric kind of view and your standard RPG kind of thing, you know, yeah. where you yeah. see the overworld map and you walk around. Yeah. Every time you enter a dungeon, it goes to a first person um, perspective. And I'm trying to think of a game that you might think of it being like, like Deja Vu. I don't know if Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. Where you, you know, you can kind of see no, the hallway and see you down of, a hallway, yeah, see down a hallway yeah. and you can walk and there's like corners and then monsters appear in front they of you. They did that, that with like, uh, like sort of like early Wolfenstein or the Jurassic yeah. Park game on, yeah. on Super Nintendo. But it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't scrolling. It was basically no. like step, 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 step kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. It's almost like the screen reloads to appear like you're walking. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and also, um, the game itself wasn't good, but here's a little bit of a tradition with the Fancy Star series as well, is that the box art was really terrible. Like Mega Man <laughs> style box art. The box art was just awful. And <laughs> I, I, I box art is so funny. And it's so funny because it's, you can almost call it like epic fantasy van art. It's the kind of thing you'd see like airbrushed on the side of a van. It's my favorite art. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, what was that one that a uh, wizard one you were talking about? Um, solstice. Solstice. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. solstice. Mm -hmm. Hold on. Is it one of those? Yeah, the one on the very top left that uh, Jordan's okay. showing me. The, it's a oh, standard so it has, master system. It has the classic uh, Genesis like. It's the grid, master system or grid the, background. The master system grid background, yeah. and then it has. Why did they think that would be a good idea? And you think like that's actually one of the better ones. The art got worse as the series went <laughs> on. Oh, really? And I'll talk about that in later podcasts as I talk about the other games as well, because there's an interesting <laughs> thing about the artwork in one of those games specifically. But uh, moving on to this one, this was uh, this is a big deal for Sega making this game. It was uh, a four megabit game, which was is five hundred and twelve kilobytes of data, and that's that was several times larger than the largest game on the Master System at the time. So this was like the biggest possible game that they ever put on a cartridge. They broke to that ground point. with this game, right? Oh like yeah, that was that was the that, first time it had ever first been time. Done. I think yeah. I just heard about that somewhere. <laughs> actually, that's crazy. That's pretty funny. So. Uh, this song, the song I'm going to talk about, again, I'm just going to go over some of the basic facts of this. The song is called Medusa, and in the game, you, you uh, come across, this is one of the first bosses in the game, is Medusa, who has turned somebody to stone, because that's what Medusa does. So this <laughs> is the boss fight music with that boss, Medusa. And uh, the music is by, uh, two, <laughs> I'm going to try this one, <laughs> Tokihiku Uwabo. Nice. Not bad. And uh, though in the classic tradition of old Nintendo and like Gen and Master System games. Couldn't have his name in the game? Couldn't have the name in the game. Yeah. So the, um, he was just credited as Bo. <laughs> so, <laughs> music by Bo. Uh, they just took the very last part of his last yeah, name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. I saw a picture of the guy actually like playing a guitar and he's wearing a big pair of like novelty glasses and they just said Bo. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, <laughs> that's cool. One eye was B and one eye was O. So he, he embraced the name. <laughs> exactly. And uh, this... Um, this specific song, Medusa, was 
remixed later on in the series in Fantasy Star 4. There were two songs from the original, original game that were again remixed in the later one. So I actually was more familiar with the remixed version in 4 than I was with the original. Once I heard the original, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is great. This reminds me of something now. It's got that nostalgia attached to it, even though I didn't play Fantasy Star until much, much later. And uh, the Japanese release of Fantasy Star, also the music took advantage of a very special FM chip that was in the Master System. It wasn't in the original, but in later editions of the Master System, it had a new FM chip. And this game took advantage of that to create a very complex for the time soundtrack. Yeah, that and, was one of the uh, the other Sega weirdnesses was yeah. like different systems actually had different things. Yeah. Whereas like with Nintendo, for the most part, you had the NES. Yeah, and you exactly you just played the NES. Whereas was, Sega, it was like every edition was had a little something different. I always love when we get to say like this game had a custom sound chip just for this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes the game sound so awesome. And <laughs> but of course, the uh, North American and the PAL releases, uh, the European release of different. this, didn't yeah. have that FM chip. So, and the version I'm actually highlighting is the North American release specifically. So this is the less complex one, yeah. but it's the one that I am personally am familiar with. And a really interesting note about Fantasy Star is that the protagonist of this game was female, which was unusual for the time. Uh, mm-hmm. The character's name was Alice Landale, and which it was very rare because Metroid had only come out the year before. Yeah. And, so and, this game was already in development when Metroid was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it had a female protagonist. And it was also like female protagonist without like a stereotypical kind of uh, backstory. She wasn't doing it for like for like to, for treasure or love or something like that. She was actually doing it for revenge. Her brother gets killed and she goes out for revenge. Oh, nice. She had That's a cool. great, uh, she had a great motivation too. Yeah. So female protagonists back in the day were awesome. They were either bounty hunters or they were out for like bloody revenge. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that she's not doing it for love. It's nice that she's like doing it for revenge yeah. or to save the galaxy or something. You're yeah. breaking the theme of the, of this month a little bit, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was about love. She did it for the love of her brother. Yeah, there and you it's go. more about my love for the series. Yeah, it's true. So without further ado, this is the track Medusa from Sega's Fantasy Star.
because you've sort of mentioned, but to someone who knows really nothing about Fantasy Star, what is the overarching sort of storyline of the series? Now, I really like this overarching storyline of Fantasy Star in the sense, like like I said, it's a me- it's a blend of sci-fi and fantasy. And the idea is that there's this place called the Algol so- Solar System. And it's composed of like... The uh, Al Gore. Al Gore. <laughs> the Al Gore. It's, it, 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 there's a lot of weird names in this. Like yeah. it's the A-L-O-G-L, Al, like G-O-L. Al Gore. Solar System. And also because of weird translation is that the names tend to change from like game to game. So what might be the Parma, the planet Parma in one game will be the planet Palm in another game. Yeah. So, you know, the translations jump all over the place. And even so, like characters like... There's a character that appears in one in the in the sequel, Fantasy Star 2, that was in the first game, but he had a completely different name in it. So it was kind of confusing that he was intended to be the same character because the translations and the names kept changing. Yeah. But the main storyline is that um, so there's this I'm gonna talk specifically about the first one and just kind of give a, a branching sure. overview of the rest, is that there's this um, king ruling this land in this solar system. And uh, there's several planets also in here. There's like Palm, which is a Palma, which is a uh, like a lush green vegetation sort of jungle planet. There's a desert planet called Motavia, and there's a, a place called Desiris, which is a uh, ice planet. And so those are the sort of three main planets. There's another fourth planet that like has this long orbit that only enters the solar system every like few like hundred thousand years or something like that. So you can only you can only travel there, I guess, uh, on this like certain times. But that's the general idea. There's a solar system, few planets. And this king, who has used to be a good ruler, has since become evil. He's oppressing the people. The revolution rises up. And the main character, Alyssa's brother, goes to fight him and dies. And that's where she comes in to go for revenge. Now, it's eventually revealed in the course of the game that the king was being controlled by an evil power, who in the first game is called Dark Falls, but that is, again, a bad translation. In every other game after that, the character is called Dark Force. Yeah, okay. So, so there's this, this evil called Dark Force that she, has, she discovers is controlling the king, and she has to destroy him. And with that, is, and in the next game, that game takes place a thousand years later. So the sort of idea here is that the entity known as Dark Force, which is like some generic sort of evil, comes around to screw with humanity every thousand years. Pops up every thousand years to, you know, cause chaos and destruction and death, and somebody has to rise up to defeat them. Cool. So, so like, sort of like Final Fantasy, it's got different protagonists? Yes, it's always, it's like, because it's a thousand years later, it always is, is different. But like I said... In the second game, one character does make an appearance, somebody who's basically been in like cryostasis for a thousand years. Yeah. And that happens in the third game as well, who's somebody who's been uh, like asleep essentially for a thousand years, who was from like the previous generation. Cool. So it's, it's got this great time spanning thing where every thousand years, um, yeah, they, somebody has to rise up to defeat Dark Force. And I'll get into this in a later podcast, but three actually had a very unique story that deviated from from the main story, which mm. didn't appear to be connected at first, but then they tie it all in because it, it's Very like neat. different characters, different worlds, has nothing to do with the original solar system. So Cool. That's it was, uh, and it was, I mean, the first game was one of the first games that actually introduced like complex characters and motivations for characters and had a story that with like characters you actually cared about and what, like what they, what they were doing, like they actually had some sort of story beyond just go and fight the boss, essentially. Yeah, in a time where stories were pretty linear and yes. the characters weren't really something to care too much about. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. 
So that's all we have for about fantasy star. But uh, <laughs> for now, for now, more coming, more coming. But uh, Aaron, tell us what have you been playing, sir? What have I been playing lately? Well, I uh, not that long ago had a birthday and received a bunch of games for my birthday. One of those being a series that I love that I haven't played in a long time. That was Pokemon. Oh. I actually received Pokemon Sun for the 3DS. Very cool. And uh, this is my first... Le- thing about Pokemon is that, yes, I loved it back in the day. I played red. I then played yellow. I bought gold and silver. I bought ruby and sapphire. But I never played any of those games, even though I bought both ruby and sapphire and both gold and silver. But I just never got into them, and I kind of fell out of the series for many, many years. So Pokemon Sun is my first reintroduction back into the series after a long time. And I'm loving it so far. It's great because it actually uses a lot of the original Pokemon from the original 151 as well. So a lot of recognizable faces for me thrown in. And uh, That's awesome. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of the Nintendo-biased uh, sources I listen to have been calling it one of their Game of the Years from last year. It's supposed to be really good. So. Yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot. And it's just like it's like an old shoe. It's absolutely classic yeah. Pokemon. All of like the systems are back. It, it, obviously, it makes a lot of improvements over the old ones. Like back in the day, if you wanted to trade on the Game Boy, you needed like your link cable and you had to like go through that whole rigmarole. But yeah. now there's like online trading. And they've been it- developing, I guess they've been developing a system for a couple games now where like they've been refining that online trading system. So mm-hmm. it's even better. And, and yeah, I was reading that like it's, this is the best iteration of it yet. Yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting too, because it actually connects between games. It goes into this, basically this big online bank of trading as well, where you can trade Pokemon from other versions of Pokemon yeah. into sun and moon. So you can actually capture more than like, the standard thing about Pokemon is that Sun has all these Pokemon, plus it's missing a few and from, then moon. from yeah. moon, and then Moon has the opposite sort of thing where it's missing a few that are in Sun. And then it also has this system on top of that where like in Sun, you can catch certain Pokemon during the day and certain Pokemon at night, but it's flipped in Moon, oh, where okay. the ones that you catch during the day and night are actually opposite. And, uh, and so you, ha- you can do all... Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. About the amount of Pokemon, about the amount of Pokemon, or how, or <laughs> and then the Pokemon that you can bring into Sun and Moon from other. Oh games. yeah, the fact is that you have the 151, and then or it's more than 151. I don't know how many are actually in Sun and Moon, but then you can bring in ones that you can't catch as okay. well, so that come from other games. And it's funny because I'll go on the trading system, and people will be like, "Give me a Blastoise for some like random garbage Pokemon." <laughs> so, <laughs> it seems like, like a lot no. of people are not <laughs> throw, putting a lot of thought well, into I think those it's trades. It's probably mostly kids, right? They're like, yeah. "Let's see if I can scam someone." <laughs> 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 exactly. But I've used the trading system a few times. Like it was hard back in the day because there's certain Pokemon evolutions that you can only do through trading and stuff like that. Yeah. And so now, and it was, it was impossible if you wanted to collect them all. Like, oh, I remember. How in the world would you know people? I'll never could, forget the stress of like the ones where you had to trade for it to evolve. Mm-hmm. And then so you would like go with your friend and it was like a Mexican standoff because it was like, all right, I'm going to trade this to you, but then you got to trade it back to me. Yeah, and it was like, you were always worried they were like, take a link cable and run, and run you're like, away. oh God. And I was worried about that even in this game, but then I realized like you can put things up and ask for things. So in order to evolve from a Kadabra to an Alakazam, yeah. it has to, a Kadabra to an Alakazam has to go through a trade. Yeah. So I put one up for trade and I said, here's my Kadabra. I'm trading for a Kadabra. Yeah. Of, of a similar level. Yeah. And, and then, that, that way we just reverse and then I don't get my original one back. I get somebody else's and then it evolves, which I was a little How does that work with, with names? 
Do you get like the person's weird name you do with get it? The person's oh, okay. weird name, but you know, generally people aren't naming them anyway. Yeah. So I got one that was just named Cadabra, which is what I want. Yeah, exactly. But the move set that they had actually fostered for this Cadabra was what much worse than mine. Uh, so I felt like I got, you got, you a, got shafted it was a, a higher level, but had a worse move set. So mm. I feel felt a little shafted, but mm. you know, still it's, it's the fun of Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> so the greatness uh, of Pokemon. Approximation. How many are there? Like three, four, 500 Pokemon now in, or? In the oh, whole, in the total whole, in the whole, whole series? Yeah. I don't know. There's I probably think, like six, seven hundred Pokemon or okay. more even. Really? I yeah, I would think even more. Like they yeah. may have even crested a thousand at this point. But um, yeah, and then I know that you can also get, because uh, I was looking into this game um, a while ago, but I, I know that you can also, if you're like a Nintendo club member, they have like special events sometimes where you just get Pokemon for free. So like for a week, you can like request the code and then you get you can pull them into your game and, and like ones that aren't in the game. So you'll get like some weird Pikachu or something like that. I got to look into that. Cause I mean, I'm a Nintendo club member yeah. and I've got a, my, I've got a, Nintendo yeah, you should account. look into it. Like there's certain, they have certain events and like they're usually holiday themed and yeah. you'll just like for like a week you can get a Pokemon. Yeah. And I'll like have that. to see into that. Cause of course, you know, back in the day, and I think I may have mentioned this in the podcast is when like I worked for Nintendo and they actually, had, there were Nintendo tours and stuff like yeah. that. And yeah. And of course the only that was the only them. way to get Mew and, and that kind of thing. But now, you know, it's much easier yeah. codes you and, just online do everything and online <laughs> and whatnot, but it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's classic Pokemon and I do, I do enjoy it. All right. Well, that's perfect. And, uh, that's not a great game to add to the, to the <laughs> giveaway, but I luckily, never have great ones to play yeah, something yeah. else. Old money bags below. Chuck, I but, did uh, play an indie <laughs> game that I would, was, would have mentioned, but it was garbage. And I even warned Jordan not to play it. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. What was it? Just that uh, it, it was like, called antichamber antichamber okay. antichamber. It was a little, uh, like kind of like a little indie simple title that was on steam and it's a puzzle, sort of an exploration puzzle game. But I got frustrated with it because there's no logic to it. A lot of it is you have to... Oh, it's stuff it's test. Like, well, you, you do stuff where it's like in order to go down a hallway, you have to like look through a... You can see like a hallway through a window, but if you go to the other side of the wall, it doesn't exist. So you have to like look closely at it through the window and then the hallway appears. Or certain things, it's where you can only progress if you walk backwards or slowly oh, okay. or... And, you know, there's a, just a lot of randomness It's a really it. weird random puzzle game. And so the thing about being a puzzle game like that is that I... I got stuck for really long periods and I basically said, I don't have time to <laughs> just sit around for like an hour and a half and not make any progress yeah. in this game because of just the random nature and like there's no logic to solving the puzzles. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so that's I how re- removed it from my list. <laughs> Thanks to Aaron. Well, and, and that's, you know what? It might work for some people, just not for me. I, yeah, can't, so we'll I can't trash it. I can't say it's a bad <laughs> game. Just, you know, not for me. All right. Well, you know what? We're gonna add it. Just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, in case you're a masochist and you just you just want to sit there and stare at the screen for hours on end and get nowhere, we'll add antichamber. All right, because I think it's funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're gonna add antichamber to the giveaway. And uh, yeah, so like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, nobody won last month. So you get you get your choice of antichamber and whatever else we had this month, as long as along with sorry, overcooked, dear God, and oh, uh, Sonic Adventure. Two. Two. Yeah. That's also on Steam. So, yeah. So, this month, it's a two-game giveaway. So, you have one in one chance to win two games. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to win that game, same as always, just hop on Twitter. Give us that retweet. Um, and uh, three retweets every week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, SoundCloud, iTunes, and the Google Play Store. And for the extra bonus entry, a review on iTunes or a comment on SoundCloud. And uh, on, a, on another note... Um, we would just really appreciate the, 
if you shared this podcast with your friends, with uh, people you know who like video game music. Uh, we're just trying to increase the listenership. Even if you uh, don't necessarily want the games, if you retweet it out for us, uh, that's greatly appreciated. So if you're listening, if you have friends that you know like video game music and might and like podcasts and might enjoy this, um, we'd appreciate it very much if you shared it around. Yeah, it's the month of love. Show and us some love. And it's the month of love. Yeah. So yeah. show us some love. Show your VGM <laughs> generations, all 14 of you. Show us some love. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's it for this month, and we will catch you next time.